tells you what he's going to test you on. I'd like to read a parable to you. It's a very familiar one. It's about the talents. How many of you kind of resonate with that? You've heard that parable where Jesus talked about an individual with one talent, two talent, and another one with five. Well, that's what we're going to look at. And, and when I was uh, looking at that one day, I was in church. I know I should have been paying attention to the speaker. And the Lord said, Stu, watch carefully because there are seven questions in this parable that I'm going to ask you at the end of your life. And then I got the picture that he was going to ask us all those questions. And there are seven questions that he asked individuals and seven questions also that he's going to ask churches because they apply to both. And so pay attention because these are questions you're going to get at the end of your journey. I really sense that deeply. And don't you want to have the right answer? By the way, when God asks you a question, he's not looking for information. He already knows it. And what he's trying to do is get you to respond to him in a way that will bring life to you in a greater way. So Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. A little bit longer, but it's worth the reading. So open your Bibles and follow along. Beginning at verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. He divided it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on the trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the silver from the servant, give it to the one who has ten bags of silver, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. 
but from those who do, do nothing, even what little bit they have will be taken away. Let's talk a little bit before I get into the seven questions. I want you to capture what he's doing here. First of all, stewardship here is a concept that we may not be familiar with, but it was very common in the culture Jesus was talking about. And a steward was given a certain part of the person's estate. In other words, it could have been their money, their crops, or whatever. And the master would put that person over it. In other words, they were empowered to make decisions on behalf of the masters. They had the authority of the master. They had control over the resources of that person. And it's a picture of you and I, because what do the talents represent? They represent what God has deposited in you and in me. And what he's saying is there's going to come a day when we will all have to stand before him and give an account. Now, he was speaking particularly to the nation of Israel here that had missed what he had for them. And he used this parable to talk to them in particular, but he also spoke it looking forward to you and I who serve and walk with the Lord. You have things that God has deposited on on the inside of you that he's put in a unique way unlike anyone else who will ever live on the earth. And the enemy's full-time job, because he knows if you begin to tap into your potential, you're dangerous. And so he will discourage you and tell you 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 were at the end of the line when God was handing out stuff. And by the way, you're not smart enough. Who do you think you are anyway? Do you believe that God could use you? Come on. And he will plant attitudes in in you and do anything he can from discouraging you to walk in God's provision. You have a destiny. And these seven questions that he will ask us have to do with growth and what he wanted to do in our lives. And they all come, as I, as I reflected on this scripture, they came very quickly when God gave to me. It was like within five minutes. And so it was, it was not my thoughts. And it was, it was very, um, it, was, it was heavy in a sense that I'm going to come to a point in my life where I'm going to have to give an answer to these questions. And it's not the answer that you can make up at the time you do it. It's going to be based on the life that you've lived since you received Christ. The talents. First of all, there's a lot of one-talent people. And I don't mean that they have um, just a small amount that God's invested in them. It means that he's only using a small potential of what you could be. You're one-talent. And that doesn't mean that you can't grow into more. Because God examines and watches who he can give more to. He didn't use, uh, when I was in my 20s, I had a lot to learn. I was a relatively new Christian, and so God began to shape and polish. And there's things within my life that he's still polishing and drawing out of the treasure chest of what he's put into me. And that's true with you too. There are few five-talent people or five-talent churches. And it's not because God doesn't want more, but choices are made sometimes that limit us from being who we could be. 
It's not a shame to be a one talent in your growth. Nor is it a big deal where you can think, well, I'm five, and you got one. Bigness has nothing to do with the measure that God applies. It's faithfulness. It's faithfulness how you've used what he's given to you. So with that in mind, let's look at, the, let's look at these seven questions. And hopefully they'll challenge you. Number one, does fear rob you of your destiny? Fear is a paralyzer. Normally, whatever God does in your life is always bigger than you are. It's always bigger. Because if you could do it by yourself, it wouldn't be a God idea. But when he plants dreams on the inside of you, they're always bigger than you are. And so after the excitement wears off where you go, wow, that was tremendous, God, what a dream. The stark reality sets in and you say, I can't do that. I don't have the resources. I'm not smart enough. I'm not connected enough. I don't see how you could do that through me. When I was in my, um, just approaching 40, right about where Ryan was, and that was just a few years ago, there was a word given to me that I would, uh, God would uh, take me to the nations. And now, here in my small thinking, here's what I thought. Well, I'm in the Air Force. I'm going to get an overseas assignment. I never was assigned overseas, ever, ever. And that word came again as I journal. Stu, I'm going to open doors to the nation. And I thought, well, how are you going to do that? I told the group yesterday, when I was uh, first visited Honduras, we were, in a, we were meeting in a little living room, dining room of the official that headed up what's the equivalent in Honduras of the Democratic Party. And that room couldn't, it was about as long and big as this, you know, this section right here. And if you look around, that's not going to fit a ton of people. And so um, I found as I traveled there, you always don't know what's going on. You know, you kind of think you do. And so I said, um, they said, I want you to te- they want you to teach on leadership, Stu. And I said, okay, I can do that. And I said, who am I talking to? And they said, well, it's going to be some people from the country. And I said, okay. And so I said, how many people are going to be there? And they said, well, probably about 45. So people started coming in the room. And I said, who's that? Well, that's a Supreme Court justice. I said, you're kidding me. Who's this? That's the president's son. You're kidding me. Who's this? Oh, he's a very wealthy businessman. Well, what are they doing here? Who's this? Well, that's the president, presidential candidate from the Liberal Party and all his cabinet. And they kept streaming into the room. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. There was 145 people that came into the room. Now, I didn't sweat great balls of fire. I sweat planets, you know? And I I asked myself a question that night, 
And it was, a, it was a very telling question because it really limited God. And it, was, it, was more, it put more of a focus on me. But I said to the Lord, why in the world would they want to listen to me? And this voice in my heart came back and said, they don't want to listen to you. Really plain. And he said, but they do want to listen to me. And he said, I made this the meeting to come to tonight. Now, just get out of the way and share me. And P.S., if you ever think it's you, I'll cut off your water. Now, do you think that kind of experience, maybe not going to Honduras, maybe you don't like to travel, but do you think God could use you to touch people. And let me do a follow-up question. Do you think fear could rob you of your destiny? Yes. Yes. Why? Because every time you choose to obey God, you come to a fork in the road. And there's two of them. This one is fear. It's the highway of fear. And it'll keep you from your dreams. And the next one is the path of faith. And by the way, it's easier to choose the path of and it's much more difficult to choose the path of faith because, number one, you don't think, I don't think this could ever happen. Number two, I don't have the resources. Oh, Lord, you, you, you get like Moses and you talk to God and say, could you send someone else? And you have these discussions. And then you even doubt that God even spoke to you to begin with. And so here's the question. Are you the one-talent person? that is going to go bury what you have in the ground. And at the end of your life, you're going to stand before God and say, here, God, I buried it in the ground. You can have it back. And he's going to say, oh, wicked servant, you could do better. And you could do better because if you'd just chosen the other highway, you could have walked in faith and discovered what it's like to see me do things that are impossible for you to do on your own. Do you let fear rob you of your destiny? Number two, do you use what God gave you? What does that mean? That means you start appreciating who you are. You get comfortable in your own skin and not trying to live your life wishing you were somewhere else but you learn to thank God for who you are, not focusing on who you think you aren't. Because by the way, God knows who you are to begin with, and so anything you tell him about who you aren't, you're not telling him any information he doesn't know. But you use what he's given you. I found that God has tapped things in me that I thought, there is no way I would have ever thought you could do what you're doing. Do you use what he gave you? Or do you wish you were someone else? And maybe he isn't using you because you're not thankful for who you are. Do you think God would be offended by our ungratefulness of how, we, how he created us? And the enemy speaks in your ear and says, you're no good. You're not educated enough. You're never going to do anything. You start to get up out and try to 
step out for God and you meet the road of fear and you choose to go down it. And maybe right now would be a good time to just extend your hands and say, thank you, God, for who I am. Forgive me for telling you who I'm not. Because who knows what's buried in the depths of your heart that when God polishes it and refines it, it could change the lives of many, many people. Let's do that. Just extend your hands. Make a little sanctuary right where you are. And just say, God, thank you for how you made me. Tell him, thank you for how you made me. Lord, forgive me for wanting to change things about me. I don't even understand who I am. Lord, would you show me? Would you use me? Help me by your strength to be grateful that I am who I am and help me to be comfortable in my skin. Father, I thank you for that. Question number three. Do you make wise decisions? Do you make wise decisions? And that's not a trick question. And let me tell you, a wise decision involves a couple of things that you have to bring into your life. Because quite frankly, um, I had a group of lieutenants one time in front of me and I was talking with them and I thought, you know, I'm going to be honest with them because, you know, they need to know this. And I said, look at the door. And they thought I'd lost it. I said, no, turn around and look at the door. Everyone looking. Yes. I said, well, I want you to know that every day People come through that door and give me problems, and I haven't got a clue what to do with them. And they were really, really disappointed because they thought I, as a senior officer, would know everything. And I said, now, focus your eyes on this in-basket on my desk. Everyone looking at it. Come on, everyone look at the in-basket. Everyone seeing it? Yes. I said, every day, there's things that get in that inbox that I haven't got a clue what to do with when they first come in. And I said, now look at the telephone. And they were getting really disappointed. I said, every day people call me and try to give me a monkey. Sometimes it's their monkey. But I said, typically there won't be a day go by where someone doesn't call me and ask me to do something. And I'm going, I haven't got a clue how to do with it. So I said, now what I want to talk to you with you about is how to eat elephants. And we did a primer on how to eat elephants. Because the truth is, is that we all feel this way. And it keeps us from our destiny because we don't understand when God gives us something, it's always bigger than you are. But when you begin to understand that dynamic, you know, we'll have periods of our lives, you'll have a short period of a burst where you think, I can do anything. And then that's followed by, I, don't, I can't do anything. But where God wants to get you is to a point where you say, God can do anything through me. And like the Apostle Paul, who was too short and too whatever, as he came near the end of his life, he said, my God can do all things through me because of Christ Jesus. So, do you use what God gave you or do you minimize?
Do you make wise decisions? And wise decisions are made with prayer and an understanding of God's Word. And what that means is if I'm going to make a wise decision, I need to spend time with the source of wisdom. The source of wisdom. I just, I don't want to discourage you, but as you get, as you grow in responsibility, it gets tougher. Because the elephants that walk in your door are bigger. I wish I could go back to the days of pygmy elephants. But I'm amazed at how God, when we will pray, and we will just be in his word, you'll give him devotional time, what he can do. And so my question to you is, do you make wise decisions? And then the bigger question is, do you spend time alone with God every day? I challenged the first service people to do something that I did going on 40 years ago. That's as old as you, Ryan. Here's what I did. I was challenged in a meeting in Atlanta, Georgia by an individual that was speaking to a very large group. And he said, you know, I don't encourage people to make oaths or to take an oath. But he said, in this case, I'm going to do it. Would you tonight make an oath before God that for the rest of your life you will read his, his word five minutes a day? And I thought, I can do that. Now, if he'd asked for a half hour, I might have trembled a little bit at that time. But I thought, I can do that. And so I raised my hand, and I'm here to tell you, I've read the word every day. You've, you haven't missed a day? No, I missed a day, and I made it up the next day. So the next day, if I missed it, I had 10 minutes. And if I missed it three days in a row, I had 15. But ha what has it done in your life, Stu? It's been transformational. How many times have you read through the Bible? I can't count. I'm now on a program with my wife that we read through Proverbs once a month, the New Testament twice a year, the Old Testament once a year, and Psalms three times a year. Is that what I'm asking you to do? No. I'm asking you, could you read the scriptures five minutes a day for the rest of your life? Who could do that? Now, be careful. Don't raise your hand unless you mean it. How many of you would take an oath before the Lord? That means, Lord, by your grace, I tell you I will read the word of God five minutes a day for the rest of my life. Who'd like to do that? Don't look around because the decision is going to come back to you. Let's pray and do that. Father, in the name of Jesus, I promise you, that for the rest of my life, I will read the scriptures five minutes a day. And when I miss it, I'll make it up the next day. And then this would be a good time to say, amen. I can't tell you if you will walk in your word what that will do. Pray before you read the scriptures. Pray over the things that are before you in your life. And at the end of your life, when he said, have you made wise decisions, you will say, 
God, by your grace, I have. By your grace. Number four. Do you use your talents to glorify God or make you look good? There's a big difference. Because when I use what he's given me to glorify him, he adds his supernatural power to it and it transforms me and other people. I've watched him heal people. I've watched miracles come. I've watched watched transformation in lives when you just give him what you have. And you want him to get the credit, not you. Now, is that hard? Yes, it is, because we're selfish by nature. And every one of us have significance needs. In other words, I want to be appreciated. I want to feel valued. And sometimes that drive within us can drive us to want to be noticed. And so, let me ask you a question. What do you think about when you're up in front of a group? Do you think about, do I look good? Did I say it right? Or do you think, Lord, could you just, whatever happens, do something that people will know that you have done it today? Do you use your talents to glorify God or do you use your talents to look good? There's a big difference. One is ministry and one's a performance. Are you generous? This is the fifth question. Are you generous to God and to others? Tough question. It's a really tough question. You know why? Because generally what God prompts you to give is something you need. Wouldn't it be easy if he only asked us to give the things we don't need? Yeah, you can have that. You want that shirt? Absolutely. It's worn out anyway. But generally what he does is he comes and he he says, will you give me this? And it's something you need. The Lord one time when I was thinking about giving said this. He said, Stu, you don't know what sacrificial giving is until you take something that was intended for your mouth and give it to someone else. Bread that you needed and you gave it to someone. A number of years ago, I got a significant pay raise in the Air Force, and I'd been waiting for it for a good while because I had teenagers that made it very expensive. You know, braces and God knows what else. There was always something coming, and I saw this pay raise coming. And it was a good pay raise. I, it was between three and $500 a month, so, I mean, it was not your normal run-of-the-mill pay raises. This is a good one. And God had been dealing with, you know, I, I made a comment a few months before the pay raise was coming, and I wasn't connecting the, anything to the pay raise, but there was a, a man, a friend in, in Tanzania that ran a school to train evangelists and pastors. They cranked out 100 every six months. And God's used him to plant 500 churches. And I remember saying to the Lord, I would really like to support him, but I don't know how I can do that right now. Because, you know, I was tithing and I was giving offerings and so forth, and there just wasn't any room in the budget. And so the Lord came to me at a moment I didn't want him to talk to me. I was thinking about my pay raise. And he said, you know, when you were thinking about your friend in Tanzania? And I said, yes. 
you know, you can afford to give to him. And I was thinking, no, I can't. Yes, you can. Well, how would I do that? Give him your pay raise. So, to be really spiritual, I came home and checked it out with Debbie. said, what do you think of this? And she said, Stu, you better do what God tells you to do. Thanks, honey. (laughs) So, we used that pay raise to not only cover that need, but a number of ones. And was it hard? Oh, man. It was awful. But, Something happened that year that was totally unplanned. I was a lieutenant colonel. I was a deputy in this organization. Now, I was going to be the commander pretty soon, but I was still the deputy. And I was doing a job that wasn't very visible. I mean, it was a prestigious job, but it was not a job where you were going to get an advancement from. You needed to be in that commander's chair. That year... I wasn't even up for primary consideration. In other words, in the Air Force and in the services, you have a certain amount of years in and you've done certain things, then you're, you're eligible for promotion. But they, they also have what's called early promotions. And the chance of you getting an early promotion is 0.03%. Not 3%, 0.3%. In other words... It doesn't happen. You know what happened that year? I got promoted early. Do you think it might have been related to the question God asked me about my pay raise? Do you think? Could there be a connection? I think so. And that's what God does. If you're generous with others and him. But remember, he doesn't want junk. He'll usually ask for something that you need. But watch out what he does. Okay. Number six. Do you understand that every big thing in your life started with a small step? In other words, quit looking for all the big stuff and be attentive to the small little steps God asks you to take. How many of you, if you think back in your life, you go, you know what, I can think back to something. What if I had not said yes to this? I'd never have had this happen in my life. We were talking about today, Ryan was talking about this building. You remember when you met out on the freeway in a rented building? And the price was expensive, and, you know, and, and Arnie came to you one day and said, Ryan, you need to go investigate churches again because this may be getting too expensive or too whatever. And so Ryan was telling me, well, I was thinking about that, and I thought, Arnie, are you sure? I don't want to go back into a school. How many of you remember when you were in the school and you had to set up every Sunday and tear down? And you had no place to call your own. A lot of work. Well, you know, through that visit, that small step, that what if he hadn't taken it, that led to the individual that owns this land and built this building for the price he did. It was a small, insignificant step. One time, 
when I was on my way to uh, Nicaragua. And um, first trip down there, nervous. And I got a call. There was a pastor who had asked me to come to Honduras. And now this is a week before. No, it was the same week. I was leaving on Saturday, and I think he called on Wednesday. The pastor from Honduras finally got hold of me and said, Stu, can you come? Now, here's what I had to do. I had to pay a change fee and a, and a whole new ticket. How many of you know that's expensive? Then, they wouldn't let me do it over the phone. I had to travel from inland California. I was in central California. I had to drive down to an airport right in the middle of the most congested area in Southern California. It would take me about two and a half to three hours, probably two hours to get over and two hours to get back, and I was going to have to pay a bunch of money. And so I was sitting there debating, I can go visit Honduras the next time. And I had this little voice in me that said, take the step. Take that little step. So I asked someone that was visiting me, I said, what do you think? And they said, take the step. I probably asked Debbie, but she would always say, take the step. And so I decided to take that little step. I drove across the city. You know, it was, it was a pain. And you'd think, oh, your obedience makes it easier. No, it wasn't. It was a pain. Got all over there, spent more money. I have never gone back to Nicaragua. That was a one-time trip. I've been to Honduras 14 times. Let me tell you what God's done. I just wrote them down. I've shared the gospel with Supreme Court justices. I led the commander of the armed forces of Honduras to Christ. He's now running for president. I got to meet with all the corrupt police commissioners and share the gospel with them. Party meetings. They brought me into partying meetings where they'd stop the meeting. They'd say, well, Pastor Stu is here today. And I could see the people's faces. They were going, oh, God. And then, then seeing God break loose in that meeting and start touching lives. I got to, it was the, the, like the Democratic Party in one of their, you know, their caucuses. All the top leaders, I got to share the gospel with them. All because I took a trip across in California and paid a little extra money. I got to share with the leaders of the FBI. The phone company on a trip got all their top leaders and they made a canopy. All 200 of them I got to share the gospel with them because of a small step that I didn't want to take. Do you realize that every big thing in your life started with a small step. You saying yes. Maybe you chose to talk to someone. Maybe you sh chose to help them. And some of the biggest things in your life are because you took a small step. Don't despise the small steps. The final question. Are you teachable no matter what the source? Are you teachable no matter what the source? I'm just here to tell you that God doesn't always pick people that you want to hear from. First of all, you have to say, Lord, you have the right 
to make adjustments in my life and correct anything that you see. And he uses the strangest people. And sometimes you go, I don't think I want to hear from them. Why don't you use this person? Or situations that you wouldn't volunteer for. And God uses them to speak to you. But here's the point. If you're not teachable, God won't use you. Are you teachable? I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Now, I would like the privilege of just leading you in a response to these seven questions. It won't go long. Just take a few minutes. The first question is this. Everything I've talked about is meaningless unless you've crossed the line and you've given your life to Jesus Christ. These seven questions will pale in comparison to the question at the end of your life you'll be asked, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Did you accept what he did on the cross for you? Did you give him your life? Did you ask him to come in and forgive you? And that's the most important question you'll have to answer. And my question to you is, is there someone here today and your heart's leaping within you right now? You said, no, I've never crossed that line. I've never given my life to Christ. I want to do that today. I'm scared. If you'd like to do that, I'm just going to ask you to Step up, slip up your hand and then let it go down. And that's probably a, a scary thing. Thank you for the courage. A number of you did that. Anyone else? Would you pray with me? And just say something like this. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I've lived life on my own terms. And you call that sin. And I'm sorry. It hasn't turned out very well. I thank you for sending Jesus. For dying on a cross for me. Would you forgive me? And would you come into my life and take over? Be the Lord. And for the rest of my life, I want to live for you. And for the rest of you, why don't you pray this way? Lord, I want to answer these questions well. At the end of my life, I want to hear your words. Well done. Lord, help me to live for you. Help me not to walk in fear to be generous, to be teachable, to make wise decisions, to be someone that you would say, look at him and her. They're serving me. And they're fulfilled. That's how I want to be. In Jesus' name, amen.